Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on the heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York on October 6th, 2022. I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Two influential New York advocacy groups are pushing for faster public release of students' statewide testing results following recent news that national scores plummeted during the COVID-19 pandemic. John Hildebrand reports on Newsday.com that in August, state education officials announced that school districts on Long Island and elsewhere could begin providing test scores to parents of individual students earlier than in the past. However, those same officials declined to set a date for release of data covering entire districts and the state as a whole. One private group, the Empire Center for Public Policy, accused the state of holding back information that should be readily available, a charge state officials rejected. The center filed for score results under the state's Freedom of Information law, but said it did not expect a response until January at least. Quote, New York students have likely suffered unprecedented learning loss due to the COVID pandemic, but we cannot begin to appropriately remedy that loss without knowing the nature and extent of the damage. That's Tim Hoffer, the center's president and CEO. Empire Center is an independent, fiscally conservative think tank based in Albany. State education authorities said they were working as fast as possible to expand their release of test results, but that the task was technically difficult and involved protection of student privacy. Data includes scores from English and math tests administered last spring in grades 3 through 8, as well as science tests given in elementary and middle schools and regents exams given mostly in high schools. Jeff Smink, deputy director of another advocacy group, the Education Trust New York, said his organization also felt the state was slow in providing exam results. He noted such information was virtually unavailable at the height of the pandemic because the state canceled most of, much of its testing as a means of minimizing health hazards. The Education Trust is a nonprofit group headquartered in Manhattan that focuses on the educational needs of students, especially minorities and the impoverished. On September 1st, the National Center for Education Statistics, a federal research agency, announced a steep drop in scores among nine-year-olds nationwide during the first two years of the pandemic. This represented the biggest decline in reading in 30 years and the only decline in math since federal tests began. Here in Suffolk County, Suffolk's largest police union is suing the county in federal court, alleging its Board of Ethics violated New York state election law and the constitutional rights of its members when it barred the Police Benevolent Association from donating to the district attorney's campaign. Michael O'Keefe reports on Newsday.com that the lawsuit was filed after the campaign committee for District Attorney Ray Tierney rejected a $5,000 check from the PBA in July because of the opinion issued by the Board of Ethics on October 6, 2021. The Board of Ethics had ruled the ca that campaign donations from a police union or its political action committees 
to a district attorney is improper due to the close relationship between prosecutors and police officers, according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit filed September 28 in the Eastern District of New York named Suffolk County. The Board of Ethics and its chairperson, Eric A. Kopp, and Suffolk County legislator Rob Trotta, a former Suffolk police officer who has become a vocal critic of the union as defendants. Police department officials and not the district attorney are responsible for addressing misconduct allegations, according to the lawsuit, which said criminal defense attorneys who also have close relationships with prosecutors are not barred from making donations to district attorney candidates. In Riverhead, the planning board will hold a public hearing this evening on a site plan application for improvements and change of use for the Elton Street building in Riverhead, where a firearm training facility and gun range are proposed. Alec Lewis reports on RiverheadLocal.com that the site plan application was mostly revised on July 25 to remove the retail sale of guns and gunsmith services at the site. There will be equipment rentals and sales of ammunition and accessories associated with the use of the facility. In addition to a live firing range, the firearms business will have a virtual reality area that can allow local police to virtually train for different scenarios, including an active shooter situation, the owners have said. The building will also house an HVAC supply warehouse and distribution operation and offices. The public hearing is on the agenda for today's 6 p.m. meeting of the Riverhead Town Board, and residents are able to comment in person and online through Zoom. And finally, here in Southampton, Schmidt's, uh, here in Southampton, Schmidt's Market and Produce, which has been serving folks here since 1980, will be shutting down in two weeks. In January of this year, the McLaren family, which owns the building and the property on North Sea Road across from the Southampton Post Office, informed Dennis Schmidt and his son that they were putting the property on the market. After nearly 43 years of doing business in Southampton Village, Schmidt's Market will sadly close its doors on October 21st. The current lease expired on the 1st of this month, and Dennis Schmidt said the owners of the building told them they had until December 1st to move out. They will need the time between October 21st and then to pack up and remove all the food and equipment from the building. Dennis Schmidt said the reason they're leaving is simple. They asking price of $8 million is too much for them to afford to buy it themselves. The Schmidts have been paying more than $30,000 a month in rent recently after years of steadily increasing rent prices, they say. Dennis and Dan have been on the lookout for another location to reopen the business, but nothing is set in stone yet, they said, adding locations from West Hampton Beach to East Hampton are on the table, though Dan said he doesn't want to sit in traffic driving back and forth to uh, work from his home in Hampton Bays. Dan's siblings also work at the market. His younger brother, Zach, is a chef there, and his older brother, Dennis, works there part-time. So Schmidt's Market and Produce, after four decades in Southampton Village, will be closing down its store two weeks from tomorrow. Staying in Southampton for the weather, obviously in honor of Schmidt's, looking like a mostly cloudy Thursday will gradually become sunny with a high near 68 degrees. North wind 9 to 14 miles per hour becoming light northwest in the afternoon. Tonight partly cloudy with a low around 59 degrees south. West wind around 6 miles per hour. Right now it's 61 degrees and already sunny which made for a bit of a tough morning because at first we were slated for overcast skies and so I switched over and spent the morning preparing the gold edition of the heart until I got to the studio 
saw the weather report had changed, and thus you've got the sun edition of the heart this morning. Author Debbie Babbitt will join us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment at the bottom of the hour to talk about her second book, First Victim, and Hamptons International Film Festival's artistic director, uh, David Nugent, will be joining us at the bottom of the next hour right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, Maroon 5 and Myra on deck. But first, here's Portugal the Man on WLIWFM NPR radio. If you look real high, you just might find Sitting in the stars, glistening, glistening Wait for the band to come Just wait for the band to come Oh, I wonder Slip on down from that sun To come down the earth Down the streets like a child Yeah. 
way she felt when she first saw me. Hate to love and love to hate her. Like a broken record player. Back and forth and here and gone and on and on and on and on. I cannot forget with you, sorry, dear. So that I met you and take my breath away. Make every day with all of the pain that I've gone through. And mama, I've been crying because things ain't how they used to be. She said the battle's almost won. And we're only several miles. She said the battle. Maroon 5 to Myra, you get a little bit of everything right here on the Morning and Midnight Show, The Heart of the East End, here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Myra leading us to the bottom of the nine o'clock hour here on Thursday morning. Just after midnight, if you're listening to the replay, that means it's time for our thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen, a segment that really uh, sort of brings things full full circle for me as someone who uh, started out in life as a very voracious reader. And I really love uh, getting to read at least a book a week, uh, and that'll be for the foreseeable future because I think this segment is booked now uh, for the next couple months here. Welcoming on uh, Debbie Babbitt. Working on her third book, her first is Saving Grace, but her second is the one we'll be discussing today, as that's the one I read. It's called uh, First Victim. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you for being with us. Oh, delighted to be here, Gianna. So I am, first of all, I got your working edit copy for First Victim, and I loved getting to really look into the process of writing and editing a book. Uh, I guess we should start by giving Louisa Smith a shout-out. Who is Louisa? Oh, Louisa's my editor at Scarlet Suspense. She's the editor-in-chief, and she is such a doll. She's amazing. I hope you're listening, Louisa, or you'll listen later, hopefully. But she she is able to read a book and tell you exactly what you need to fix, right. what needs to be revised. And she, she is just so amazing. And we worked very hard together on this book. And uh, she was very excited about bringing Alice, Judge Alice out into the world. Um, and she's, she's just amazing. She's it's the editor you want to work with because yeah. she brings your vision out as opposed to giving you ideas that might take you a little away. Right. She really brings the vision and she's just amazing. Yeah, she what knew- can I say? We're a team. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was really great that the edits were so tight and it was, like you said, it, it was obvious. This is a person that understood your vision and was not trying to change the book, but rather to, to make sure that the pre- presentation was the best it could possibly be, you know, bringing attention to, oh, oh, you know, you've described uh, the din of the courtroom in this way several times. Maybe you can say it in a different way. All all really tight, good stuff. Uh, You know, you mentioned Judge Alice, and and of course, we got to talk about uh, Charles, who at first I thought was her son. Now, do you, everyone, everyone thinks do that. Do you do that? Do you do that on purpose? Because I remember I did a similar thing once where I, I made the uh, the protagonist's uh, gender or what or whatever her their identity uh, sort of so that the the people were tricked into thinking the the protagonist was a guy for the first chapter. I'm wondering if you did that intentionally. I did that intentionally, and it's funny you talk about gender because I'm, I have an idea for a fourth book after the third book that I'm working on now, and I'm, I want to do something with that also, and it's a very interesting thing to do because you have to write it in such a way. You do it in first person, but there, it, it's harder with gen, you know, gender, of course, but I love that. Yeah. But yes, I did do this intentionally, absolutely. And I knew it wouldn't be long before you learned who Charles was, right, of right, course. Right, right, right. But I thought it was interesting too because it's like having a child that you have. You know, it's he reverts back to his childhood. And in we a should, way. yeah, and so we should. We'll bring the are, people. Yeah, yeah, we'll bring the people in. So, so, and it's interesting because yesterday we had a doctor on talking about a, a mm-hmm. symposium going on this Friday about Alzheimer's and other 
uh, dementia diagnoses. So it, it plays right. very, very nicely. So Charles is uh, the uh, he was a judge as well, I believe. And he yeah. uh, he was, um, you know, given an Alzheimer's diagnosis. And, you know, it it, it really goes into um, sort of the, the the journey of the caregiver, not only the caregiver, but the person themselves. And and I I really right. I have to just applaud you and and ask you about the um, what kind of research or what you did to actually bring readers into the mind of Charles, uh, someone who is is um, living with Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I did do research. I did a lot of research, and also who the character was and who he was, and a lot of it sprang from my writer's mind as well, how I would feel in his shoes. So it was a, it was a combination of both. But, you know, it's also interesting, Gianna, because I, I wanted him to have a point of view. Right. And I kind of went back and forth over that because, you know, obviously he's not the main action in terms of what happens with Alice and her journey um, from the courtroom uh, to uh, New York State, you know, to her child, back to her girlhood. However, I really wanted to give voice. And it's funny, I, I heard from a reader this week who told me that he was her favorite character. <laughs> Charles! She said, oh Charles my God, was. I love Charles. I so love did I. Him. This first person is amazing. And somebody else, someone else had written to me, you know, look, it's something we all live with. They, they, her father has all time. And she said that his having his point of view really brought a lot of things home for her, and she was so happy to see that. And, you know, that really was something for me. I just, he came to me that way. I knew that he'd left the bench. I knew it was a secret Alice had to keep because no one knew how long he'd had it, and that could affect all the cases he'd done, all the recent trials. So she's keeping a lot of secrets, but this is a a big one. (laughs) Yes, yes, And, and, and very, very emotional, heartbreaking, and yeah. and and beautiful mm-hmm. as well because uh, it, it's so obvious, you know how much he loves loves his wife and and how mm-hmm. difficult uh, it, these these moments of of clarity and and trying to hold on to that um, were for him. Uh, you know, I you... know, I know. Even when he did, there's this one line, and it just you know, as I write, things come to me. And when he said in that. A rare moment of cognizance when he says, "It's my brain." Charles thought it's dying. No, I was crying when I was. I was crying when I wrote that. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's so funny because that gives uh, the reader a look into the fact that this is a ride. Writing a book is a ride that uh, the author takes as well. I know that uh, many authors speak about how uh, the stories change, the characters change, and and. Oftentimes, without them really knowing that uh, things are going to go in a certain direction when they sit down to to write the thing. Well, that's very interesting because I've I've spoken about this on on many interviews that I speak to a recorder, and that's ideas, etc. But and then I input the recorder, and that is not the writing of the book because I can't speak the writing. I, I forget what author it was who said it had to come down his arm through his hand, through his fingers. Everyone's but anyway, different. So yeah. then I sit down and as I input, other ideas come. The time I sit down to actually write the first draft, I've got thousands of pages from these folders. 
I'm hoping they're in my mind because I can't then go back to all the folders. Then I start writing. And as I write, new things happen organically. Other things happen. And as you said, then it goes in a certain direction. Now, that may not ultimately be the right direction. So it's kind of like um, it plays on my background as an actress because I start with character. And what you do before you perform and get up on stage is you write pages and pages of biography on your character. At least you should. Right. And so what happens is this. it's almost like doing an improv. It's like an improvisation. You take you take the action in the character as far as you can. And when you come back to the scene, the book, the narrative, you've gone as far as you can. And now you have to pull back and decide which way you're going. And then as you're writing, other things happen. So, oh, God, it's, it's so exciting because it's all about character, for, but you're writing in the thriller genre. So you have to still make sure the plot works. And right. all the twists and turns work and that they come organically from character, which is why I don't write fast. <laughs> I love this. I love this because it, it really that's a great uh, process for someone who is looking to inhabit their character and, and, and sort of let the character be their guide in uh, as far as as action is concerned. I love that idea and uh, the process of, of writing the biography first because then well, I, I'll have to interrupt to say when Go you ahead. say action um, what I did as an actress was the great Russian director Stanis, uh, Konstantin Stanislavski always said character is action oh I love so that so all the action must spring organically from the character yes and even that's in exactly what genre, I mean even with all the twists you know what I mean because there are authors who say they begin with the twist and they come up with the character and story and I, I work in the opposite way because I start with characters. So in a way, in a way that's harder because what, what about the twists and turns? Well, you know your story as your character takes you along. And then, then the twists and turns seem to happen. I mean, I hope they do. They seem to come organically from the character for me anyway. So, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot to think about, you know, you need to know, (laughs) you need to know in, in, you know, let's say a a character is, is uh, in sort of, you know, they're confined, they're being held by another character. Uh, You need to know when it comes down to it, how this person's going to react when X, Y, and Z is, is thrown in their direction based on who they were. Uh, growing up, things that, have, that had happened to them, and that uh-huh. that is certainly the case, uh, very exactly so, when we talk about uh, Judge Alice, and I'll, I'll let folks uh, read First Victim to find out what we what we mean by that. Um, but my last question mm-hmm. for you, you know, I I'm, I just want to know a little bit more about what brought you uh, to books, because you know, you know, I saw Saving Grace. Oh, it's a, it's a female uh, sheriff, I believe. And then this is and so I'm like, oh, there's there's some sort of uh, legal connection here. And then I see in your biography, daughter of a judge, husband of a criminal defense attorney. So uh, definitely a lot to write what you know as far as that's concerned. Um, Just if you don't mind telling us what brought you to Saving Grace and um, and then maybe a little teaser about your third book, if you don't mind. Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. It's very interesting. Um, and Louisa actually mentioned the fact when we did it, uh, we were doing an interview with Book Passage uh, last month, and she said, you know, you always think you have characters in law enforcement, right. a sheriff, a judge. 
And I have a prosecutor in the next book, um, although she's not – there's another main character. But, yes, my father was a federal bankruptcy judge, although he didn't really bring his work home, although uh, he had an interesting story uh, very, very quickly. But uh, someone that wasn't able to keep out of Chapter 11 kidnapped uh, a maid in the court in the courthouse and demanded my father come down. He held her hostage. This really happened. To, to make a long – Yes, it really happened. And to make we were home having dinner. To make a long story short, we went down there, but the police were there, and they thought this man had a gun, and they donned my someone donned my father's robes, and the man tried to reach into his pocket, and the cops shot him, but the man didn't have a gun, and my father was furious. They didn't wait for him, and the the bullet hole in the wall over his desk. I I remember seeing that bullet hole. You know, when the bullet went past through him right. into the wall. That that was something that happened. Okay, so that was maybe that was in my subconscious. So we, and that and, brings us to there's <laughs> there's some action in uh, the judges' chambers. We'll leave it at that. Oh, that's right, right. I'm thinking. Thank you for that. Yes, connection. Yes. So it's probably in my mind. And then my husband, criminal uh, defense attorney, and I have to say. He vetted the book, of course, to make sure all the courtroom scenes were correct. But he got me down to the Manhattan Supreme, and I got to sit in on a lot of trials. And this was actually before COVID. So trials were going on, and I got to meet judges. And I I wasn't able to go into any chambers. So I kind of had to research and make that up a bit. But I saw trials. I talked to court officers. So, And my husband really helped me with the million questions I would ask him, of course. Oh, I love it. So that was my that was my background. And it's interesting. Um, but I didn't go into law. I didn't go to law school. I ended up becoming an actress, although I'd always written. I was always writing. And funnily enough, when I was eight years old, I wrote a book about an orphan who goes to live with her aunt. And for uh, viewers out there, um, Saving Grace is about an orphan who goes to live with her so aunt and uncle. So this is the rewriting <laughs> of your eight-year-old n- novella, I, ma- I imagine. Do you remember what the what the title was of your of your? No, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't remember if it had a title, but I know I wrote 200 pages. That's Amazing. That's the only thing I remember. Um, are you kidding me? You wrote 200 I'm, I'm pages. I'm not kidding. I love that. So I was always writing. I was always writing, but I went to acting because I loved performing. Oh, my God. And once I started rewriting my lines, I knew I had to stop acting. So that was a segue into playwriting. Did you say, did you say, I knew, you knew that you were, when you started rewriting your lines as an actress? (laughs) I said, I have to get back to writing. Yes. So I so after play I was writing plays and then I got a job at William Morris and they were trying to groom me to become an agent and I didn't want I wanted to be the talent not the agent. So um, I, this is so funny I met a woman in a bookstore I was thinking maybe I'll write these eloquent romances and funnily enough Saving Grace is also in a, a mass market paperback published by Harlequin they bought rights so it's in the third edition but anyway not to digress. So she said, my sister, uh, I talked to this woman standing next to me in the bookstore, and she said, you know, my sister's associate publisher to Harlequin, and they need back cover writers. And I said, what's that? And she said, you write the back cover. So that launched my career as a freelance copywriter for all the major publishers. And then I got a job as a copy director at Kensington Books, which then led to Penguin, 
Penguin, which at that time was Penguin Putnam. And I was a copy chief. And so I was writing copy for all these major authors. And I thought I should write my own book. Oh, my and God. And that saving and grace the was rest born. Is and history. that started my whole career what? as a novelist. What a badass. I am so excited <laughs> for you and for your continuing journey. And thank you. I think you you uh, let it slip a little bit that your next book is going to have a, a female prosecutor as a protagonist. If that's the truth, thank you. Thank you well, for all. Well, of... I'll t- I'll, Don't go ahead. I'll tell you very quickly. It's called The Man on the Train. And it's very Hitchcockian and very visual. It's a train. And the, protag- the male protagonist is uh. a married man who sees a beautiful woman on a train. But Guy, that's his name, Guy's wife, Linda, is a prosecutor, and she's also a major character. Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that. That's okay. <laughs> All right. But we did, get, we did get a great female protagonist in First Victim. Yeah. And uh, folks, oh, I, I think that— you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Debbie Babbitt. For you, for for all you are, for folks, if you want to read either Saving Grace or First Victim, ask your local bookstore um, if they have a copy. If they don't, I'm sure they can order it for you. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Debbie Babbitt. This is Kurongbin and Leon Bridges, Bridges. And you just heard the Thoughtful Thursday segment right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay tuned. Texas. 
Less than 15 minutes before the NPR news break at the top of the hour on the next local news update. Now to play the song around which we wrapped this entire playlist. It's one I've played for you before. Nikki Lane's Send the Sun from the Highway Queen record of 2017 here on WLIWFM NPR Radio.
From Nikki Lane to Vance Joy, Soundgarden on deck here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Saturday Sun from Vance Joy's Nation of Two, record of 2016. Hopping back to the 90s for this next one, Black Hole Sun from Sound Garden Super Unknown, record of 94. We've got Weezer's Island in the Sun on deck after that, then Slightly Stupid, Closer to the Sun, the title track to their 2005 record, 
leading you into the NPR news break with Stereo Honey's Ladders to the Sun, the title track of their 2020 record. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Weezer and you, whoever you are. Oh, this is Soundgarden. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio. Black hole sun, won't you come? 
If you're looking for slightly stupid and stereo honey, you'll hear them after the local news update leading you into the NPR news break with a little Weezer. Here on WLIWFM, NPR Radio. With Long Island local news on WLIWFM this October 6th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe. Riverhead police officers greeted residents at four locations across town yesterday for the annual Coffee with the Cop Day, an event held on Wednesday across the United States to encourage informal interaction between police officers and community members. Denise Civletti reports on RiverheadLocal.com that officers visited Duffy's Deli in Jamesport, Goldberg's Bagels, and El Chapin uh, Deli in Riverhead, as well as Bean and Bagel Cafe in Calverton. The idea was to make cops make themselves available to community members to hear what's on their minds and engage in, ca- in casual conversation. Lieutenant Jonathan Devereaux, who heads up the department's patrol division, said, quote, this is one of the most successful community outreach programs Nationwide, Riverhead initiated Coffee with a Cop Day in 2016, but hasn't held the event since 2019 due to the coronavirus pandemic. New York State Assembly member Jody Giglio of Baiting Hollow was among the local residents who stopped to chat with the officers Wednesday morning at Bean and Bagel Cafe. Quote, it's a great idea and a great way for residents to get to know our police officers face to face, she said. In other news, stretch limousines like the one involved in a 2015 Kutchog crash that killed four women and 2018 Skohari, New York, wreck that killed 20 people should be equipped with side impact protection devices and taken off the road after 10 years, according to a New York State task force. Lorena Mangelli reports on Newsday.com that the report also proposes that passengers get a pre-trip demo showing them how to use seatbelts and what to do during an emergency, and recommends window break tools and the enhancement of fire extinguisher requirements currently in regulation. Nancy DeMonte of East Northport, whose daughter Joelle was one of the four women who survived the 2015 Kutchog limo crash that also killed four others, is on the state stretch limousine passenger safety task force. She called the report an important tool though noted that the inspector general's investigation into the Skohari wreck 
hasn't been completed yet. She said the limousine industry has not been uh, sufficiently regulated, quote, with our recommendations. I believe the industry is going to be very, very safe, DeMonte said. In July 2015, a stretch limo heading east on Route 48 in Kutchog during a winery tour made a U-turn and was struck broadside by a pickup truck. Lauren Baruch, 24, of Smithtown, Amy Grabina, 23, of Comac, Brittany Schulman, 23, of Smithtown, and Stephanie Belly, 23, of Kings Park, were killed. Four others were injured. And finally, the New York State Liquor Authority Commission hit the Surf Lodge, a popular Montauk bar, with a $40,000 fine last week, bringing the total amount the bar has been fined to more than 135 thousand dollars in the last four years and issued a dire warning that further violations would result in the loss of its liquor license. But while the surf lodge has racked up unparalleled fines over the last few years, it is far from alone in drawing the ire of the SLA board and was not even the most severely penalized local establishment this past year. Michael Wright reports on 27East.com that in April, the board hit the owner of the sometimes nightclub 44 Three Mile Harbor Road um, with a $50,000 fine. Shagwong has been assessed two fines of $15,000 each this year for charges stemming back to failures to comply with pandemic-related limitations in 2020. The owners of the former Swallow East paid a $30,000 fine in April to keep the business liquor license active. The new tenants, LaFin, were issued a number of violations by East Hampton Town this past summer that the SLA has yet to examine. In June, the board levied a $25,000 fine against the former Liars Saloon in Montauk just before the entire property was sold. And Bounce Beach Montauk, formerly the notorious Sloppy Tuna, was issued $27,500 in fines this year for charges in 2021. The SLA uses what it calls civil penalties as punishment for businesses that commit serious or repeated violations of state or local codes or break previous agreements limiting their operations. At a September 28th SLA meeting, Commissioner Greeley Ford said the only reason he wasn't in favor of turning to a license suspension of the surf lodge was because they had weddings booked this fall and he didn't want the SLA to be responsible for ruining someone's celebration plans. Sliding over to Emma Gansett for the weather in honor of our next guest, uh, David Nugent of the Hamptons International Film Festival, looking like a mostly sunny Thursday. Oh my gosh, finally, huh? With a high near 69 degrees. North wind, 5 to 7 miles per hour, becoming calm in the afternoon. Partly cloudy tonight with a low around 59 degrees. Southwest wind, 3 to 6 miles per hour. Right now it's 62 degrees, getting back to the tunes. Getting a little closer to the sun. This is uh, slightly stupid. Ladders to the sun by Stereo Honey on deck after that. Then we'll be walking on the sun with Smash Mouth. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Slightly Stupid. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the heart of the East End, uh, on the 88.3 and 96.9 section of your FM dial, depending on where you're listening to us from, of course, streaming online to wherever that is at WLIW.org slash radio.
All right, I'm sure it's a great song, but I'm actually going to hop over it. Is it just because I love Smash Mouth and this track so much? It could be. Apologies everywhere out there. And mostly to Stereo Honey, I'm sorry. I bunny hopped past the ladders. With the tears because our baby's life has been revoked The bond is broke, got so choke up and focus on the close-up Mr. Wizard can't reform, no God like Hocus Pocus So don't sit back, kick back and watch the world get bushwhacked you're thinking, gee, it's no fair. I wanted to hear that Stereo Honey track, Ladders to the Sun. Well, you can find it on the playlist on the Heart of the East End program page on WLIW.org slash radio after our broadcast time. Moving on from Smash Mouth to Sunflower Bean. This is the Moment in the Sun single from 2020. I'll be hopping over the doors waiting for the sun to play the Jayhawks track by the same name, of course. You can find it all on today's playlist. Uh, David Nugent joining us in uh, seven minutes, six minutes. 
and I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. You're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio. you're still waiting for the sun to peek out from the clouds, don't worry, you won't be waiting long. We've got a sunny day ahead of us here on the East End. I'm Jenna Volpe. These are the Jayhawks. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. You're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener, supporter of WLIWFM. Stay tuned for David Nugent. Joining us for the Hot Sights and Sounds segment in just a few minutes right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station.
Jayhawks leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour on Thursday morning, just after one o'clock if you're listening to the replay. And that means it's time for our Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery, welcoming onto the program Artistic Director David Nugent of the Hamptons International Film Festival. Welcome to the heart, David. Hi, Gianna. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. Now, before we talk about the kickoff, of the 30th annual HIFF, HIF as it were, um, I do want to talk about how or ask how summer docs went, particularly the screening of Nothing Lasts Forever. I remember speaking to Jason Cohn just a, before that screening, and it sounded 
just like such an interesting film. Yeah, I love that film. It was really great. It was nice to uh, have our Summer Docs program, which had its 14th year, take place this past summer. It was like a good um, appetizer for the film festival, which is about to celebrate its 30th edition. So I know I know you're an Amagansett resident. Can, <laughs> resident. Can you talk a little bit about coming to the East End? Did you grow up out here? I didn't. I, I started coming out here in the 80s, I guess it was, um, when we my family moved to Maine, and I have an uncle who lives in West Hampton, so we used to go visit him every summer. I started coming out there, but then I, I didn't really come out here uh, formally a lot until 2007 when I got this job, and then my wife and I bought a house here in 2011 in Amagansett, and we have been here ever since, and we love it. Well, we love having you here, and I, I cannot... Imagine after taking a peek at your resume, how grateful uh, the film festival staff are to have you on board as the artistic director. 30 years of this festival, certainly uh, nothing to sneeze at. And uh, we're certainly lucky that you joined on board uh, back in 2011 uh, to keep this festival as awesome as it is and getting more so every year. So we're kicking off tomorrow. It looks like Is the kickoff happening at East Hampton Middle School, and then there's another showing at Sag Harbor Cinema? How is everything working out? Ooh, did I lose you, David? So, yeah, the opening night film. So we're actually starting screening uh, films tomorrow at the UA, the Regal Cinema in East Hampton. But then our opening night film, which is called Living, which is wonderful, which I'm preparing for as we speak right now, writing out my Q&A notes, is, um, is going to screen tomorrow night at the East Hampton Middle School. Um, that would be Friday night, October 7th. And it is also going to rescreen later at the Sag Harbor Cinema. But we're, we're all over the place. We, you know, Guildhall is unfortunately, under, or fortunately for them, undergoing their big renovation. Right, right. So we're using the East Hampton Middle School in place of Guildhall. We're also screening at the Regal Cinemas there in East Hampton at, and also at the beautiful Sag Harbor Cinema and wonderful Southampton Arts Cinema as well. So what can folks expect from the actual kickoff at uh, Regal Cinemas? Are, are you going to be screaming, screening uh, living there as well or no, that's just going to be at the middle school and at Sag Harbor Cinema? No, that's just at the East Hampton Middle School. Yeah, that's just at the East Hampton Middle School where I will be tonight, uh, or sorry, tomorrow night with them. And we've got the director coming, and we're really excited about that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great film, and we're excited to have that kick off. But it's really, you know, starting the next morning, I mean, Saturday, we are nine or eight or nine films happening at a time. Also, our our free programs, our Rowdy Talk, our Winnick Talks at Rowdy Hall, and we've got the directors, Daniels, who made Everything Everywhere all at once, as well as one of the lead actors from that film coming, and the producer doing a free talk on Saturday morning at 10 a.m., so we're doing that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we tomorrow we, we get started, but Saturday is when it really, really uh, gets going. Really cranks up. So what are what are some films that are particularly exciting for you that you want to uh, just get a shout out to? Although I have to imagine that some of the screenings might already uh, be sold out, if not if not already getting there. Uh, 
So uh, it's, it's funny. We don't actually use the word sold out because what we do is we have pass holders and ticket holders, and we have to take a guess as to how many pass holders will be there. So if we guess that 100 pass holders will come to a screening and then only six show up, we sell 40 rush tickets 15 minutes before the film. So no films are actually sold out. There are a few I'm really looking forward to. One is called Devotion, and we're playing that on, I think, Sunday at around 12, 15 or so. Uh, and it's a story of two naval aviators during the Korean War, an African-American and a white naval aviator, and their friendship. And it's based on a true story. And we have the director and a bunch of cast coming for that film, and the producers, that's called Devotion at the East Hampton Middle School. Uh, it's a really, really beautiful film. It starts Glenn Powell, who was in Top Gun Maverick this past uh, spring, summer. And then also we've got a film called The Sun, starring Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, um, which is playing on Sunday night at the East Hampton Middle School, which is a follow-up to Florian Zeller's film The Father. It also stars Anthony Hopkins. Um, and Anthony Hopkins won the Best Actor Oscar for The Father a couple of years ago, and this is a follow-up of sorts in a trilogy. And we have a really special guest uh, coming with screening, which I can't say much more about, but you will not want to miss the screening of The Sun on Sunday night at East Hampton Middle School. Uh, and then I'll just say one other thing. We have this amazing family-friendly film called Good Night Oppie. Sometimes hard to find family-friendly films, but we have this one about the Mars rover that was sent up in 2004, was meant to work for 90 days up there and ended up uh, going around 15 years, and about the incredible group of scientists and engineers that put it together. It is so sweet and fun and beautiful. Good night, Oppie. And we are super excited about that one, too. Very cool. All right. So first of all, I did want to say J.D. Dillon will be on with us tomorrow morning if you want to know a little bit more about devotion. And then inadvertently, uh, I planned this playlist around the sun is actually the theme for this morning. Uh, it's because how grateful I am that the sun is finally out after the last few days of uh, storms, but how beautiful that it played right into the hands of Hiff. Oh, so this indeed. goes, and this festival is going on through next weekend as well. Yeah, so this is the first time we'll be 10 days long. So it starts tomorrow, Friday, October 7th, and it goes all the way to October 16th. So you get a lot of chances to check films out. And I do want to give just a quick shout out to uh, Ben Potter's uh, surfing um, documentary, The Rolling East. It's a documentary short that looks like it's going to be film uh, or screening at the East Hampton uh, UA2 at 5.30 on the 13th and then uh, 1.30 on the 15th, just since that's uh, an East End film. Yeah, that's a great film. It's part of our Views from Long Island shorts program. We've got a couple of great shorts in there, actually a couple of surfing a film about Gardner's Island. We also have an amazing film about the retreat, which, like us, is also celebrating uh, its 30th anniversary this year. This is the Domestic Abuse um, yes. Resource Center right. uh, and Shelter. So that we have, it's called The Power of Community, and I think it plays on Thursday. Uh, that film is wonderful. I really encourage people to come check that out. Okay, and that, so that's, that's next, next Thursday. So hopefully, maybe, possibly, if we have a, a spot open next week, uh, we might be able to get the folks yeah, from the retreat from today, on. And we'll also be showing that. Go ahead. 
Oh, sorry. I think there was a delay. Yeah, uh, it's a week from today, and we'd love to get the directors of some of the people from that film on if we could. Oh, I would be so grateful if we could work that out. Um, thank you so much, David. We'll have to have you in the studio next time so we don't have any sorts of delays. Uh, there will be no delay in Hamptons International Film Festival. It all kicks off tomorrow, and definitely go to Hamptons Film Fest. Dot org for more information there. I'm Giada Volpe. That was David Nugent. Uh, these are the Beach Boys and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Risk Gallery on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Beware of 
them that stutter and smile to see why we're dying away. Once you've seen what they've been to in the earth, just won't seem worth a night or a day. Oh yeah, what I say. Look around, you find the ground is not so far from where you are. Don't do. Down below they never grow, they're always starting charms to hide from out of their eyes. Never a surprise. Take your time and you'll be fine. Say a prayer for people that will live on strong. And if you see what's meant to be, don't name the day or try to say. What you are beneath a star that came to say one rainy day, an autumn for free. Yes, be what you more than 15 minutes before the NPR news break and the end of this edition of The Heart. Nick Drake, things behind the sun from the Pink Moon record of 1972. And I have to correct myself. I said J.D. Dillon. It's J.D. Dillard who's going to be on with us tomorrow talking about his film uh, Devotion. Uh, looks like that'll be probably during the Friday morning tea segment underwritten by Village Overhead Doors. I'm going to double check that 
just in case you're looking to. That's right. Uh, Ashley Bell will be joining us at 1025 and then Paul Gartside to talk about the Climate Festival coming to the Raw School this weekend. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Long Island's James O'Malley, the sun in the morning from the If Only In My Dreams record. Will Lawrence, remember his brand new record 2022. We explored it with him last week. We'll play I Almost Caught the Sun. Then a track that uh, I think is my favorite One I'd never heard before making this playlist. It's a single called Addicted to the Sunshine from Lime Cordial. We've got any time after that. We've got some Fab Four and Carter Family and Johnny Cash. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. The sun in the morning and you at the end of my day Whatever goes wrong in between is okay Well there'll be deadlines to meet appointments to keep no telling what's heading my way But there's a sun Sun in the morning and you at the end of 
little Icarus vibe for you ahead of Lime Cordial. That was William Lawrence. Brand new record, Through the Hollow Hills on WLIWFM. This is Addicted to the Sunshine here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. The Beatles and the Carter family with Johnny Cash. Coming right up. Here on WLIWFM.
Addicted to the sunshine, that's true. Here comes the sun, I say it's all right.
else is super happy to see the sun after the last however many days of dreariness. This guy, for sure. Deep bow to our guests this morning, Debbie Babbitt and David Nugent. DebbieBabbitt.com for more about her books. HamptonsFilmFest.org for more information about the Hamptons International Film Festival. J.D. Dillard of Devotion joining us at 925 Tomorrow, I'm Gianna Volpe. This is the Carter family and Johnny Cash and you, whoever you are out there. Hopefully, you're keeping on the sunny side and staying tuned to WLIWFM. All the storm and its fury broke today, crushing hopes that I cherish so dear. Storms and clouds will in time pass away And the sun again will shine bright and clear Keep on sunny side 